All right, welcome to Peep Squeak, the cafe where we serve you delightful, slightly intense, but definitely worthwhile conversations. A podcast focused on bringing people together by drinking, listening, and conversing. So grab your favorite drink and let's see what's on today's menu. All right, people, welcome to Peep Squeak, the cafe. You know, here at the cafe, we always have a conversation sitting around the drink. And today I did something a little special, y'all. Ha ha! I have a new espresso machine in the cafe. It is by Terra Cafe. It's pretty good espresso, automatic espresso. So I made me espresso martini. You know, I always have my little trusty bottle of water, H2O, boom, boom, boom. And today I am joined in the cafe by Jay. Say hello. Hello, everybody. All right. Now, let me go back to me because I'm more important. Thank you. Oh my God. You are on episode 60. Episode 60 is entitled Health and Wealth in the Black Community. And you know here, I normally start off the conversation because hello, it's my show. Duh. And <laughs> what I say, go. But we're going to do something a little different today. We're going to kick it back over here to Jay. Jay, what are you drinking on? I am drinking the espresso martini also that you made for me. So have you have you tried it yet? I, I haven't. I was waiting on you. Oh so. well, let's do a cheers cheers from the distance. Chin chin. Chin chin clank clank. Salute. To the people. This goes oh. out to my homies. Oh, for your homies. You pouring it out. You gotta pour some out for I, the homies. Look at that. Tastes pretty good though, right? It's good. You wanna say thank you? It was free of charge. I mean, you're not paying me to be here. At least you can do is give me free alcohol and hookah. I mean, That's the only payment I'm going to get, apparently. So, I don't know. Folks come into your studio and try to take over. I mean, <laughs> you know, most people charge for studio time. Huh? <laughs> All right. So, go ahead. So, what are we going to be talking about today? So, as you noted, we I really want to talk about health and wealth in the Black community because there is an absolute correlation between the two right? One impacts the other significantly. And it's something that doesn't often go together, right? In the black community, health and wealth. We either have one or the other. Boom. Oh my God. We either have one or the other or neither. So I'd really, I think it's important for us to talk about this. All right. So, and for purposes of the conversation, I think it's important that we give a full disclaimer. Neither one of us are public health officials. Neither one of us are medical doctors. However, what we do want to talk about, I think, is the anecdotal experiences that we have experienced in our families and talking to families and friends about the, the topic offline and just kind of bring it online. Right. We aren't sociologists. We aren't statisticians. Right. We're not necessarily going to have empirical data for you on this topic. But although I did take sociology because I was a criminal justice major and I wrote my published paper was in the sociology. What's that magazine? Not the magazine, but, you know, article journal. But go ahead. So technically, I could say. Okay, irrelevant. But let's move on (laughs) because I only have so much time tonight. I got to get up and go to work in the morning. Uh, But yeah, so so we don't have the hard data, right? But what we do have are our experiences and our observations and our placement in a community that suffers greatly from not paying enough attention, I think, to either of those topics and not necessarily making the connection between the two. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I, I, I think that for, for me, particularly growing up, it, 
having health benefits was not a priority, period, right? We went to the doctor when we needed to because we had to, not because we were going necessarily for, for preventative um, measures, right? right? Chris Rock said put some Robitussin on it. That was definitely I mean, I would tell you growing up in Detroit, <laughs> you know, if you were sick, you get some burners, right? What's that? Burners. What is that? Ginger ale. Oh, burners. <laughs> oh, ginger. No. Ginger ale. And crackers. That is the black people's remedy okay, but to whatever not, else. Not the Seagrams and all that crap y'all drinking down you here. You talking about off-brand? No, Verner's is the real oh, deal. Ginger. Okay. It is the real deal. And here in the Virginia area, you only can find them in select stores. And it's a six-pack. And it's like 4 or $5 for the six-packs. But it will heal. Okay. <laughs> whatever. Stomach, it heals you. flu, <laughs> cold. Listen, it took care of it. Then if you had a little cough with it. My grandma used to go and put some of that ginger up, I mean, that whiskey in there or brandy. How old, how old would you have to be for that? It didn't matter. Oh, when I was a kid. Put that brandy in there, put that little brandy in there, because then that's going to clear that throat. That explains it. Okay. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but go it, ahead. Giving the babies licking alcohol. It worked. What about this shortage of formula crisis? That's a whole other thing, because there was an article the other day that talked about how it's going, it is impacting black families more. But, you know, we will find a way, because what I have also seen are these multitude of postings where people are like, well, here's another recipe. Mm -hmm. If you don't have formula, you get that evaporated milk. You put a little whatever in it, put a little corn syrup in this and this. And there was one discussion that was going back and forth about how one lady was saying, my baby's only three months old. My my doctor, my pediatrician said, you, I can't give her that yet. It's not good for her. And they were like, do you want her to eat or not? I mean, yeah, because I, I remember when Davion was little, um, his mom was more focused on following the rules, but not me. I'm like, Look, he's crying because he's still hungry. The formula is not filling him up. We need to add something to that milk. Put a little cereal in there, yeah. take it on so, up, and, and let it stick to his, his ribs so right. he can stop so, crying. To your point, one of the suggestions was put some rice cereal in there, put some other stuff in there to fill them up. But here's my question concerning those recommendations. Because people are like, we got that and we were fine. So this relates back to the whole health and wealth in the black community. Mm -hmm. Okay. I mean, the doctors recommended against it, but they don't know all, you know, it's a mix of art and science a lot of times. But if we are giving the babies those type of sugars and carbs at that early in age, mm -hmm. when it's not, when it's recommended against doctor, when it's against doctor's recommendations, to what degree at all is that contributing to the child's development where either we're laying a foundation later for diabetes or an appetite that they have for sweets in particular, or just carbs to make mm -hmm. you feel full that then contribute to them having weight issues or dietary, you know, lack of dietary control, that kind of thing. I mean, I hear you, but when you are in a community where you don't have the wherewithal, so you no, go I to the, it. you go to the store, you get the cheapest cereal, right? The 99 yeah. cent bag of cereal, that's not Fruit Loops, but they call Loops, right? <laughs> right. And the generic they, brand. They have like 13, gra 13 pounds 30 of sugar there, yeah. right? But you, that's what we had no, to I, operate under. I get it. And that's still the only choice for some people. And it's unfortunate. So I'm not judging and criticizing to that in that uh, regard. It is still a question then, though, because we have to make 
poor dietary choices due to our lack of wealth and finances. How does that impact us right from the very beginning Mm -hmm. through our lives? Mm -hmm. And so why are black people the ones who are carrying the burden of all these preventable diseases that we end up dying from? And a lot of it has to do with diet. And so again, it's like, well, is it that black people don't have the discipline? Is it that we don't know to eat better? No, more often than not, most of the time even, it comes down to how expensive is it, mm-hmm. right, to eat, to eat healthy. So, so that's one aspect, I think, of health and wealth mm-hmm. in the black community. Another aspect, you know, our mentality and our approach to finances, right? Do we even think about it or do we are we really just more focused on how we're going to pay X, Y, Z bill? Now, I know it varies, right? Mm-hmm. This isn't a blanket statement for all of the black community. And I certainly don't speak for the entire community. I speak for the people. I'm like the Huey P. Newton for the people. No, <laughs> and what, what would you have to say? No, no, no I'm black. No, but, but what is, but, but I think a greater percentage of us generally have financial, you know, challenges where diet, not only diet, but, you know, the health of our finances is something we don't prioritize, right? We don't focus on it. A lot of times we don't like to think about it because we don't have enough, the the money that we'd like to say this is enough for how I want to live. Mm-hmm. And so we just ignore it altogether. Do you find that to be true? Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I'm, I'm not sure we necessarily ignore it. I think we just, at least my experience is, it's not that there's an, I know it's there and I'm ignoring it because I just don't want to deal with it. It's that I don't know how to navigate through it, right? Because I think you have to define, at least for me in my head, you have to define what wealth means. For some, wealth is I have a nice car in front of my house, right? For others, wealth is I get to have on nice shoes every time a new shoe come out, right? For some, wealth is how much money do I have in my savings? And then for others, there's the wealth, the concept of, okay, what does my retirement look like? What does my home value look like, right? So I think there are different categories of it. Well, is it fair to judge those categories? Like for some to look at it and say, for you to believe that getting the new pair of Jordans every time they come out makes you wealthy, there might be a problem there because that is to me, not true wealth. It might be in somebody's mind, but that's, I mean, when I talk about my sort of focus here today is about true wealth, building generational, excuse me, wealth, right? Creating a a comfortable spot for yourself Mm -hmm. and your family where you don't feel like you're just living check to check and you aren't paying. I mean, some people have to do that, but I, you don't need a whole lot of money though, to focus on saving, to focus on how do I multiply my money or how do I stretch my money? And so, but, but I don't think enough of us think about that at all. It's just, do I have enough to acquire this material item? Is that enough for me or, you know, are my aspirations only to achieve material things or are we really looking at it in terms of generational wealth? I, think I mean, I, so sorry, but, you know, I, not to make light of it, though, but, you know, that's how I am. I do. I, I do think it's important, though, that to recognize that the concept of wealth, 
as you speak it, right, of what you're speaking about may not be what other folks believe wealth is, right? There are some folks who believe wealth is the emotional and, you know, physical, metaphysical aspect of who you are, the being, that that makes me wealthy. Because when I'm going away from here, I'm going up to the house and get seven mantles, you understand? Mm-hmm. Going, up the, going up the mountain. Yeah. Now, so, but, but to your point, I do think that, you know, for conversations, one thing that I think we lack a lot of in our community is just having that open, honest conversation about where do we see us as a family unit going from here, right? I can buy this, that, and the third, but does that mean that that's something that my generations after me are going to be able to use? How will it benefit them? Yeah. What can they take with them? And I agree with you, certainly, that mental well-being is well. I absolutely agree with that. So I don't discount what anyone would say about that. I think due to, you know, just economic, socioeconomic circumstances, a lot of times we can be limited as a community. Espresso is good. In what we view as wealthy, or we don't even aspire to it because we think we can. So I think part of, part of this issue is about highlighting that I think more people need to have these open conversations, mm-hmm. right? And really consider a moment of introspection and action, right? In mm-hmm. terms of writing things down, figuring out what you need to execute when, how can you get from A to B? Mm-hmm. We just need, I think as a people need to pay more attention to that and be less focused on just sort of the pop culture satisfaction mm-hmm. that we may receive. Mm-hmm. Now, I, you know, I'm talking to myself, right? At the same time, I'm talking to everybody else because, of course, you want the nicest thing that you can get. Everybody's trying to live their best. And it really came home to me with regard to health and wealth when my mother turned ill recently. She had a turn where she fell and then had a stroke. And there was evidence that she had been having a series of mini strokes. I had seen her cognitive skills deteriorating. And as an only child, it fell on me to navigate, you know, this very complex labyrinth of networks and rules and laws in in the healthcare field. And so it highlighted the fact that she and I had not had the conversations we needed to have about her estate, about how she wanted things handled. And part of that was her being very secretive. But part of that, I think, was also that she wasn't a rich woman. She's not a rich woman. And so, you know, it just never really uh, propelled either one of us, right, Mm -hmm. to have the conversation. In my mind, I'm always thinking, we'll have it later. We don't need to have it now. Mm -hmm. But I've run into that problem enough times and seen it enough times to say, by the time you get to the point where you need these things to be worked out, that is not the time to try to get it worked out. You need to have the conversations. You need to execute the paperwork. You need to be, you need to have total ownership of your assets and your belongings and your property and whatever else. And so I just think black people need to have the conversation more. Using your situation as a springboard to this conversation, just to play devil's advocate, right? People may listen to this or hear this or look at it and say, well, she seems like she's well put together, knowing what you know and being who you are, why didn't you force those conversations earlier on so that you could be prepared for 
the situation where you're forced to make determinations for your mom? Combination of two things. One is just, you know, procrastination and denial about needing to have the conversation. Part of it was, here's another responsibility on my list. I just, if I don't have to take it up right now, I won't. And that was a mistake on my part, I will say, because again, you don't want to wait until you need this stuff to be in place before you get it in mm-hmm. place, right? So part of it was just my overall resistance, whether it was conscious or subconscious. But my mother was also the type to not want to have the conversation. I mean, it took her brother, my uncle passing, where there was drama with his estate because it wasn't fully settled and organized like it should have been. And it took him to pass for her to get a burial plot, for her to get a life. She had a life insurance policy, but it was something she was like, I'm mailing this to you so you have it. Her entire life, she's been very secretive about any of her affairs, but his passing and the mess, the aftermath, right, that she saw from that motivated her to not want to be in the same position. So, she, and then what's interesting about that is she started to get all that stuff together and then it just, she kind of dropped it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I don't live where she lives and I have a lot going on in other aspects of my life. And honestly, I just did not prioritize it. Do you find, or did you find, based upon your experience, that for her, there could have been this fear of, thinking about mortality, right? Oh, yeah. Right? So why am I thinking I'm leaving here when I have so much left to do? Because you got to get past that. Yeah. You got to get past that because everybody goes. So, I mean, people have their own issues with their fear of death and not wanting to talk about it. But we all got to leave here one day. Mm -hmm. So why don't you get your finances, your estate, rather, in order before then? And another reason I wanted to talk about wealth and uh, wealth and health in the black community had to do with the health and wealth now, but go ahead. What did I say? Wealth and health. Oh my God. So anyway, HW homework. Go ahead. Oh, you're giving us a mnemonics now. Right. Okay. Acronyms. So unfortunately she went from someone who was living on her own fairly independently, although aspects of that, you know, were changing over the last couple of years. Now she's in long-term care, can't do anything for herself. And so one challenge I was faced with was where is she going to go? What facilities have openings that are qualified to take care of her and her condition? And how much is it going to cost? Bottom line. And where are the resources? Because I will tell you a minimum standard, you know, minimum facility is, you know, they were giving me $5,000 a month quotes to to fully take care of her. Yeah. For the care. And it just went up from there. And so what I found astonishing was that you either needed to be wealthy, right. To pay out of pocket for these facilities, or you couldn't bring in a lot of money in order to qualify for Medicaid, which is just government. Right. assistance medicaid covers the cost when you don't but you can't there are caps on how much you how much income you can make per month with that <clears throat> and if you make over it you can spend down and all this other stuff to try to qualify but if you are an individual who brings in too much income just from 
you know, your pension or your retirement, whatever, your annuities, your, you know, any other form of income. If you make far over the amount to qualify and you have a multitude of assets that they will count, you know, in against you, what are you going to do? But you don't have enough money to pay out of pocket right. for these astronomical costs. Right. And so I, you know. But did you know whether in your experience in doing that, because I thought I saw somewhere that to your point, you're either on the opposite end of the spectrum, either you too broke to, to think and that might qualify you or you make too much and so you have to pay out of pocket. But for those people who are in the middle, right, who maybe have a, a good decent um, income, whether that's through your salary or pension and things of that nature, and maybe you have some few investment properties here or there, including your own home, but you know that you can't live there anymore. If you begin to liquidate those assets, well, you have to. do they, but do they, take that into consideration as additional income that you're going yeah. to receive. Yeah. They end up one of the workers at the, one of the, somebody in the business office at the facility where my mother is said to me at one point when I started this process, she said the people who work for Medicaid ought to work for the FBI because they will find, <laughs> okay, anything and everything. And I remember there are a series of questions that they ask you right in the application process to get to the heart of, what assets do you have? And my mother, again, this was before she fell, but still when she was declining, but just some at some point last year, sold her car. She had a car that she hadn't driven. You know, she suffered from another, she suffered from neuropathy in addition to, I guess, these issues that were causing her to have strokes. And so she had stopped driving within the last couple of years. So really she needed to have sold the car long ago. Now she's 78 years old. Mm -hmm. She, you know, all of this. So you would think she would have told somebody she was selling her car. She told no one, sold it on her own. But one thing the people asked me in the application process was about whether she had a car. I mean, they go down the line, right, with, with the assets. And when I indicated she had sold it, they were like, okay, we need the bill of sale. Because they want to know how much money does right. she get. Because they're making an assessment as to what is your financial situation right. to qualify you or not. And I wasn't in the position where I had to sell off her assets because she does still have a house in her name that I have not had to sell. But they also sent me a letter saying Medicaid comes after your estate. So if I were to sell the house, it's not like I would keep the proceeds as her sole heir. I would have to hang on to that after she passed to see if Medicaid would come after it or not. Because apparently they can. Right. So and they hounded me about this letter. I was like, so because I told The bill to sale. The bill of sale for the car. And I was asking my cousin who was helping my mother out. Did they do a formal document? Did they do a bill of sale? Did they? She was like, no, the guy just gave me the money for the car and I put it in your mom's account. <laughs> like what? So in the end, I ended up essentially having to write a letter, like a declaration almost saying, this is what I understand what happened. This is how much money, because they wanted to know how much money did she get for that car when she sold it? Car was old as dirt, right? right. But they were tracking every penny because they have a five-year look back period in all of this. And so if she had set up a trust, you know, if we had set up a trust at some point, and I just, I don't know, you just, I did not think far enough into the future years ago mm -hmm. to say, what am I going to do if 
you know, my mother needs this type of care. Right. Because it is something, you know, from a human standpoint, you just don't like to think about, right? Yeah. You so but but that's why I think it's important for us to say, no, you've gotta have these conversations. I, I just think in in the community itself, secrecy is God, right? That it it is the only thing that we have, right? What we do, what we understand, our value, that's all we have for a lot of people. And so surrendering that is difficult. And 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 then even having a conversation with your child, right, about, you know, this is what I'm doing, this is what my health is. Like even with my mom, you know, she's open about it now. But, you know, I knew I used to get on her nerves because I would go home whenever I would go home or call her. I'll ask a whole lot of questions because in my head, I'm thinking I need to know what it is. First of all, I want to know what you want, because at the end of the day, that's what I want to ensure that we as a family unit honor whatever your wishes are. Right. If those wishes are reasonable and practical at that time. That's what I want to happen. But also, I think it removes the stress of being catapulted into a situation where your emotions are running over your logical thinking. Right. And I think for the black community, we often move from emotion and we often have to make decisions based upon emotion. And then we have all this unnecessary infighting with each other because it's like, uh-uh, Big Mary didn't want that. Big Mama didn't want that. Big Mama would not want this. And I'm like, okay, if Big Mama didn't want that, why didn't you sit down and have Big Mama write it on a piece of paper? Because let me tell you how when people start fighting over what's left. Right, right? exactly. People not even gone yet. Yeah. They're at the hospital and there's people at the house yeah. taking things out, fighting over jewelry, fighting yeah. over furniture, fighting over whatever. Yeah. A rubber band. I mean, because there are so, there are so many, you know, we also get, we get, weirded out by the whole legalese aspect of it right but there's so many things that you can do simply in your own home right you could take a pad and a paper and write it down and have some other person sign and say they saw you write this on this day this is where we were blah 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 right could it be contested yeah sure but at least that's something that is going to say this is what this person's perspective is right or if I, you know, I, you know, my son is 17. So I have these conversations with my own time when I feel like, you know, I, I, I feel like I'm sick or whatever. I tell him, here's are these accounts. This is where this stuff is. Your name is on this, this, that, and the third, because I want him to know if push comes to shove, these are the things that are for you. You know what I mean? And you can do what you want. But, but it won't be a mystery. He won't feel lost. He right. won't be unsure of what your preferences are. Right. Because my mother and I had to have the medical conversation as well, right? Do you want a DNR in place? And surprisingly, she was like, oh, no. Right. Keep my heart beating. Do whatever yeah. you can to get my heart beating. But one thing she, which was a little surprising to me, but but one thing she was clear about was that she did not want machines to keep her alive. Mm -hmm. She said, I don't want to be hooked up to machines and machines keeping me alive. She said, if I'm that far gone, just let me go. Mm -hmm. Right. So we did have that conversation while she was of sound mind, but it was while you better was, keep me here. But it but it was while she was in the hospital. Okay. And it really was a conversation we should have had yeah. way before then. Yeah.
You said uh, you you won't be hooked up for the next twenty years because you might come back. Keep me right there. Keep my microphone next to me just because oh I want to get up and do a podcast, do a podcast. episode mm-hmm. <laughs> straight from the bed. <laughs> but yeah, no, it, it, you know there there are so many simple things that you can do to navigate to the system to honor the requests of your loved ones, but also for your own sanity, right? But I do think that with with black folks, particularly, we have to fight with each other to have those conversations, and that in and of itself is a stressor, right? And so it's easier to say, well, screw it, I'll circle back to it. But you know, oftentimes we don't circle back to it because we don't want to deal with the drama. She ain't listening or he ain't listening, you know, or the parents, if they're older, you know, they start thinking, oh, just because you went here, you think you up it and you think you know this, that, and the third. Right. So there it, can be a power struggle yeah. where they will not accept because you're of the younger generation, they're just not going to accept that you have something that's valid to say and that your idea may actually be better than what they were thinking or what they intended to do. I mean, I don't know how you overcome that, but I think we start to push past you know, those barriers the earlier we have the conversations. And again, to emphasize and stress, like this is for your own well-being because if I can talk to you about how to just better handle your finances or grow your wealth, then maybe that connects to your health and that maybe you don't have to work until you drop dead. Maybe you can actually retire and enjoy retirement. There are so many black people who have no pension, no annuity of any kind, no 401k that's, you know, worth talking about where they could retire at 65 and live comfortably. I think it's far more common in the Washington DC area. And I think that has a lot, has a lot to do with the, the government. government. Mm-hmm. And so you have a lot of black people who are living middle class and upper middle class lives where they wouldn't otherwise. And so with the government, you know, they, you know, you're gonna have the annuity. Cause you got that good government job. I think for this area, I certainly, you know, see people, black people who are growing wealth, who are passing along generational wealth, mm-hmm. who, and it's largely due to the job market mm-hmm. here, because not only do you have government workers who have essentially been able to make the type of money that they would make elsewhere, you got a lot of people who are independent um, entrepreneurs. They have contracts with the government. Right, That's another news. money maker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, IT, a lot of you know, a lot of that, and there's the small business, you know, requirements, right? Mm-hmm. That a lot of contracts have small minority business requirements that end up benefiting a lot of people, a lot of minorities, people of color, women, that type of thing. So that contributes. But this area I think is an anomaly, right? Like mm-hmm. I think you can get comfortable believing, oh, this is how it is for black people on the whole. Mm-hmm. The majority. And it and it it tend, it seems not to be. Yeah, so I mean I guess to push the envelope a little bit. For those folks, let's just stay in this area, right? We have a lot of folks who are able to quote unquote live the American dream, right? And be able to manage their health and wealth a little more um, efficiently than maybe they would they would have been able to if they grew up how they grew up, mm-hmm. right? If they lived how they grew up. But is there a requirement and obligation for that group of folks to then go back to reach back into the community to try to instill and other folks about the value of health and wealth in the black community because 
Sometimes what happens, I think, with a lot of families is that there are a few nuggets of successes that come out of them, right? And then you go back home and there are folks who are still living horribly, right? But at what point do you have an obligation to try to break that cycle, to steal from Ayanna Van Zandt, to break generational curse, right? So I think... <laughs> I think we all really, whether we want it or not, sort of have the obligation, right? Because black people on the whole in this society in America are just not where we need to be. And that's due to a lot of outside factors. But I also think the way you give back varies. So first of all, one person can be a savior. So because I think a lot of times we have that one person in the family who was the only one to get the college degree or it's still, it's, I think it's changing as a generation generations past but you know we've had for a long time oh he or she was the only one to go to college and go to law school or whatever go to professors just do well right open your own business do well and then everybody else in the family who has nothing expects you to be the resource for everything that everybody needs that's not realistic that's not fair to the person and so for as much as you can appreciate your blessings and want to help other people in your family you can't do it for everybody. But but, but but if it was for me, you wouldn't be here. What about that? <laughs> you just got to pray for him. You just got to be like, I appreciate every, I appreciate you. Okay. <laughs> I appreciate you and everything you have done for me. But the other thing is there are different ways. A sacrifice for you to get to where you are. Mm -hmm. God bless. God's going to bless you real good for that. Right. <laughs> so, <laughs> so what, like, it, it just varies in the way you want to get back where you may not be supporting a family member, mm -hmm. you could dedicate your resources elsewhere that will still contribute to the upliftment of the black community. So while we're on this topic, though, of health and wealth in the black community, and I, let me just say, I know that it's it's a broad topic, right? Because it means a multitude of things. Sure. But one thing that I do think I want to stress on here is the need for you to recognize the fragility of your own mental health. Right. Because oftentimes what we tend to do is that we put ourselves in detriment for other people too often. Right. Because we feel like there's an obligatory aspect to it or we feel like, you know, this is I have to do this because someone did it for me. And I get all that. But if you're not mentally prepared or strong enough, then you can't. I, I feel like you're selling a, a bag of rocks to people because you're not prepared your own self you know what i mean right. you have you, to have that that mental wherewithal in order to move through the system or yourself. you could be strong enough mentally in the situation damn near break you right so back to taking care of family members and this obligation that we have some people ask me were you going to move your mother up here with you because mm, <laughs> i surely did <laughs> you were not the only one but i don't fool myself right into believing that I can provide the type of care that she needs. First of all, she needs round the clock care. Like she can't do anything for herself. So who exactly is going to pay the mortgage for the house that you want me to move her up here into if I'm not working because I have to be home? And you go, well, you can still work. You can hire a nurse. Well, who's paying for that? Because one thing, I, another thing I realized is insurance doesn't cover everything at all times but you can take fmla for a little bit mm -hmm. and you, you you're not paid 
So the Senate, you know, not the Senate, but Congress on the whole, right? In their legislation that's been pending or somebody's been trying to get off the ground to have paid family paid family because a lot of other countries do it. Same thing with universal health care. We always think everything's so impossible and it's always oh, becomes a socialist agenda, right? But it's like, at what point do you recognize your obligation as a country to take care of your citizens? So, but they, they haven't passed that yet, right? They don't have enough support for it. So I'd have to take off from work. And besides the question of who's paying these bills, if I'm taking care of her, I recognize I don't have the qualifications and the skills. She needs nursing care. She needs medical care. Mm -hmm. And I wasn't going to let any notions, right, of obligation and guilt override the reality because what you don't want to your point is for both of us to be in a bed right because she can't do it and i've been so run down so that helped me do by dismissing this notion entertaining this notion that she would come up here and and be with me is that then i was able to focus on okay what how do i get her what she needs where she is mm -hmm. and thank god i was able to do that you mm -hmm. know it really was a blessing and things came together i mean at one point it was harrowing mm -hmm. and it was a bit overwhelming to the other point of a stress related to trying to take care of family like there is a perception right that uh, i'm i'm referring to it in the colloquialism that i understand old folks home right there is this perception of Folks just sitting in a old folks home withering away and yeah. no one is really taking care of them or giving them any kind of fair treatment or making them feel as if they're still alive. Right. And so for the point of a, the familial obligatory aspect of taking care of loved ones, some of that stems from that fear. Right. Because the perception for a lot of us growing up. I mean, they're for not me, treat them well. they're not going to treat them well, right? They're not going to treat them right. They're slapping the back of the neck. You've, you've, you've seen like there's the elder, elder abuse. abuse and, you know, there's a whole, there are lawyers. That's all they do is litigate elder abuse cases, right? But remarkably, there is what I understand. Most of the elder abuse cases are from the loved ones. Hello. And here's the thing. <laughs> And I know this is rooted culturally. And I know a lot of it has legitimacy, but we have got to stop assuming that we are always getting the bad end of the stick and that people are always going to mistreat us. Cause that's part of what's rooted in. I can't trust a home. Why, why can't you have you researched it? What kind of ratings do they get? Now in the end, they got the best ratings and still, you know, mistreat your loved one or do something wrong. But you can't just always assume that. But, but, but sorry. I, I agree, but let's be realistic. That's very difficult to dissect where if you have, I mean, you, you, you can be, hell, I can go to a place in DC and feel like I'm not good enough, yeah. right? I've, I've had those experiences and I make sufficient enough money where I should be able to walk in this motherfucking place and be treated yeah. like a king, like everybody else. Like I said, it has legitimate roots. Yeah. But it paralyzes us in far too many circumstances to our detriment. Don't get me started on people who won't get the vaccine because of the Tuskegee experiment. I get it. I understand it. But you got to get past some of that bullshit to help yourself. We can get in our own way. And so, you know, just to your point of people who would take someone in just because they don't trust the facility. You've got to look at it 
on a broader spectrum mm-hmm. than just assuming they're not going to be treated well because they're black mm-hmm. and, and, and balance it mm-hmm. against, well, what will it mean then for you to bring someone home? Yeah. What, but what's you, the cost to you there? But you also, I, I do think you and I, we have to recognize that we've have lived experiences that other folks in our community don't have. So part, part of the ability to grow, I think, is the lived experiences. You've, you've moved out. There are some folks who never left the block that they grew up on. Right. right. They never crossed the fucking border, to, you know. At, to go out of state. Go out of state or I, sometimes to go into another city. I dated a guy for a while, for a long time, that was from New York. But let me be specific. He was from Queens. Mm-hmm. So we would go, you know, we lived together for a while here in D.C., in the D.C. area. And, you know, so we'd be in New York every other weekend, like hanging out. And I'd be like, OK, when we, when are we going to Manhattan? What is happening? And he'd be like, oh, well, he wouldn't know what to do. I was like, huh? And he'd go, well, we don't really. I mean, people in these boroughs have everything they need within a five block radius. Right. And some of them never even travel outside the borough. I was like, what are you talking about? (laughs) So, yes, absolutely. There are people who never leave the neighborhood. They never leave the state. They haven't been exposed. And and so I get it. it. You know, and to that, I would just say we, you know, we have to do more to sort of work on freeing our minds. There's a discussion that should be ongoing in, in you know, in the bars and your barbershop and, you know, when you're going to get your liquor, who you go and, and play basketball with. Right. Every time you meet someone, you'll be amazed of how your interaction with that person can be a positive influence on their way of thinking on their on their emotional state and their mental state you never know what someone is going through you never know what someone is battling with internally right um because to your point about the secrets we also are clear that we should be telling people when we feel some kind of way when we feel it in balance when we feel like we need to cry it's not meant for us to go and talk to anyone right that's something that we need to keep in because you don't want people to think you're crazy right that's been a stigma that i think is changing like you know i've often talked about my how my second career will be in psychology as a clinical psychologist and one of the reasons i'm drawn to that field i mean i've always been drawn to it generally speaking but really understood within the last few years that a lot of reasons, one of the main reasons, black people don't necessarily engage in psychotherapy like they should is because there are not enough black therapists out here to treat them. Mm -hmm. And they feel like they feel like these the white therapists, while they may be great at what they do, simply just cannot relate enough to them. So their advice, right, is coming from a certain place where they just the connection is lost with a real understanding of how you can help me but you can't understand the issues i'm having so how can you provide the advice and support that i need to get better yeah so people seek black therapists and there just haven't been enough no i agree there's not enough out there and you know on that last point is that even for folks who are woke or who's intelligent or, or well, I shouldn't use the word intelligent, but who was really educated in the area. It's not that white folks who are clinical psychologists can't render sufficient, well-sounded advice. It's just that for some folks as well, it's more of the same 
white savior aspect of it, right? Mm. Here there is another white person coming and save the day, right? Why can't it be what's best what's for best, me? Best for me and my situation and all that. So there are a lot of things culturally that I think people don't connect with understanding why there's this um dissonance with the concept of therapy right and yeah so you know we get more people of color in there and that goes to organizations too just saying that like why people tend to think that you know diversity includes and inclusion aspect is this a woke movement aspect but it it helps the organization as a whole right the more people you have that look like you that sound like you that talk like you walk like you understood the shoes that you had to walk the more likely you are to resonate with the organization and then therefore want to stay get promoted exactly. things of that nature you feel like your opinion is valued yes and will be taken seriously yeah yeah, yeah. so all right well this was a, a Good conversation. I appreciate you taking it. I also appreciate you taking time to talk about things that's personal, dealing with your mom. I know it's not easy having to be here and she's there, particularly in the state that she's in. So uh, positive vibes for you and your family, and particularly you. for your mom. And so, yeah, so I appreciate you being here. All right. So for those of you out there who are listening, you know that here at the cafe, we always have a drink. So you always pull up your, your drink and have a conversation with us. You can do that. You can communicate with us on all of the links that I'm going to put up here, as well as the email of you. Maybe there's a topic, part of this conversation you felt that we misconstrued, didn't say right, or you felt like you have a different perspective about it. It's good that we hear about the different perspective. So feel free to send an email. We can get you on. It can be virtual. You don't have to necessarily sit here with us. But yeah, until next yeah, it's time. Yeah, I don't know if they can come. They can call. I mean... <laughs> You you out here in these streets all day, every day with no mask. I'm vaccinated, up. boosted, with and no, I got Jesus on my side. With so no, <laughs> with no kind of shame or remorse or care. Um, but yeah, so next time, the blood, the blood, the blood, the blood. I plead the blood. Drink, listen, converse, peace, and love. Bye.